Do you like puzzles? I haven't worked on one in quite a few years, but, but when my kids were little, I would occasionally put a puzzle together with them. And I learned when I was little that the best way to start is to find those key pieces, to find the edges and the corners. And if you can find those edges and find those corners and make the edges of the puzzle, then all the rest of the pieces will eventually fit together. And we'll see that in our passage this morning. Like every part of God's plan, God is doing a work and he's lining everything up to accomplish his will. And in this passage, we're going to see that last key put into place for God's mission plan for the whole world to hear about Jesus. In Acts 1.8, he told his believers, his followers, what they would do. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice right off he says, you will. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. These are key pieces, key aspects of a Christian life, of true believers' lives. They have the power to witness And they do witness. He doesn't say some of you will receive power and you might witness. He said you will. You will witness. And it's also important to remember that it's God who does this. First, he gives them, the the believers, the power. And then they do what he's called them to do. So we'll see that, that these are key pieces in God's plan as we look at this passage today. Jesus also said that there will be a progression. He'll start in Jerusalem with all the Jews and then works in and through his followers to draw them to himself and then as persecution scatters them, then then that will push them out from Jerusalem. God works in and through difficult situations in our lives. He does this to show his glory, and he uses that to spread his gospel. So here in Acts 10, we have the last piece of this progression, the gospel going to the Gentiles, to going to the ends of the earth. Acts 10 is also a vital part of our history. We're not Jews, and we don't have a Jewish church. In Acts 10, we're going to learn why There are Christian churches all over the United States and all over the world, primarily made up of Gentiles. This morning we're finishing our missions month study entitled, You Will Be My Witnesses. By studying how God's gospel spread to the Gentiles, and we're going to learn how people come to saving faith in Christ by discussing the encounter between the Apostle Peter and Cornelius, a centurion and Gentile. Let's first look at the choosing of Cornelius. That's the first point. God chose Cornelius. Scripture is clear that salvation is a work that only God does. He has to change hearts and lives. We learn that all throughout Scripture, and we'll see it here in Acts 10. Look at verse 1. At Caesarea, 
there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So we're told in verse 1 that Cornelius is from Caesarea and that he was a centurion, which meant that he was a leader or a commander over 100 men. And he was also part of an Italian cohort. And so an Italian cohort is 600 men. So Cornelius is one of six leaders in this Italian cohort. We also learned that he was a very religious man. Look at verse 2. Cornelius was a devout man who, who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Cornelius was very religious. He was a, a pious man. We learned that in, his, in this passage that he gave generously to people. He prayed continually before God. And he was what was called a God-fearer. God-fearers are those Gentiles who decided that the God of Israel was the, was the true God. And they prayed to him, and they worshipped in the synagogues, and, and they went there regularly for worship. So he was a good man. He was, he was doing right things. And God had clearly been drawing him and preparing him and working in his heart. And he was starting to come around, but, but notice that that wasn't good enough. Doing the right things wasn't enough. Praying wasn't enough. Giving, all those things that he was doing weren't enough. He was started down the path, but now listen carefully. Cornelius was a God-fearer, but he was not a Christ follower. Cornelius was a God-fearer, but Cornelius wasn't saved. Let that sink in for a minute. He was doing the right things, but his heart was not turned to Christ. He needed something he couldn't do on his own. And that's why God did a work. And he sent an angel to him. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So at about three in the afternoon, which is one of three designated times that the Jews would, would pray, Cornelius is praying and an angel visits him and tells him to send for Peter. And the reason that we learn in a moment is that while Cornelius is a devout God-fearer, he's not a Christ follower. So God is going to connect him with the one that will make the gospel known to him. And in Acts 9, that we learn that, that Peter is do, doing ministry in Joppa. And the end of Acts 9, Peter is at the house of Simon the Tanner. And this angel tells Cornelius to send men for him. And Cornelius is obedient. We're told in verse 7 and 8, When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, to them, he sent them to Joppa. So that's part one of the story, that God chose Cornelius. And, of course, Cornelius' response by sending them in. Next is the preparing of Peter. God prepared Peter. Look at verse 9. 
The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So you, if you remember, Cornelius was praying at the ninth, ninth hour. Um, and while he was praying, God spoke to him. And we're told here that God, that God speaks to Peter at another designated time of prayer, which is the sixth hour, which is about noon the next day. So look at verse 10. And he became hungry, this is Peter, and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. Do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So God is all over this. First he works in Cornelius, and now we see him working the other end with Peter. God is the one at work. He's setting everything up, first in the hearer and then in the sharer of the gospel. And he, he has a lot of work to do with Peter. Um, there's a lot of barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Peter had come a long way, but he still has a ways to go, which is why God sent him this great vision. And in this vision, Peter sees this sheet filled with clean and unclean animals, and God says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter, in typical Peter fashion, trying to sound superstitious, uh, really super spiritual, sounds off against what God says. And he says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And then God, in, in typical God fashion, rebukes Peter and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. You see, all these Jewish dietary laws and other ceremonial laws and circumcision were done to set God's people apart from those that were around him, the, the, um, the evil nations that surrounded them. And it was to show those nations that there was something different about them. God was now showing Peter that the one who was able to unite them is far greater than what used to divide them. And this would be really hard for Peter. Um, Peter, he's a, he's a slow learner. And that's why he had to see this vision, not once, but three times. And I'm like Peter too. I'm a little slow on the uptake. Fortunately, I know who it is that takes to get through to me. So I asked the Lord to help me, to show me. And even if I don't understand, I'll trust him and I'll follow him to lead me. God knows us. That's he, why he refers to us as sheep. Um, it's not flattering. But we don't need flattery. We need it to be made clear. We need to know which way to go and what to do. We need God to lay it out for us. We're told all through Scripture in Romans 2, Galatians 2, Ephesians 6, James 2, and in John 3. He loves the whole world. He does not show favoritism. He gave his son for all. No one is better or more suitable. Um, everyone is exactly in the same place. We are all lost sinners, bound for destruction 
and in desperate need of a savior. Jesus exampled this in his ministry. He ministered to Samaritans and Gentiles, tax collectors, Roman centurions, uh, fishermen, prostitutes, and thieves. If it's true, and God exampled this to us in, in Jesus' ministry, shouldn't that be the way that we minister? Shouldn't that be the way that we see the world? So not only did God choose Cornelius and prepare Peter, but he also orchestrates this meeting between Peter and Cornelius. That's our next point. God orchestrates this encounter. Look at verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to, as to what the vision he had seen might mean, so Peter was thinking about this thing and trying to figure out just what happened. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And then they told him the story. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. So notice again that God is just all over this account, encounter. Right after receiving the vision about the sheep with the sheep and the clean and unclean animals, immediately after God saying, what I have made clean, do not call unclean and common, Peter hears this group of guys calling out to him, and the Holy Spirit of God says to him, these guys are looking for you, Peter. Go immediately without hesitation. Welcome them, because I have sent them. This kind of interaction did not happen in that day. Jews didn't entertain Gentiles and vice versa. This is a big step in the right direction for both Jew and Gentile. So after inviting them in to stay in his home, we're told that Peter goes with them to see Cornelius in Caesarea. So let's pick up reading at the end of verse 23. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So he brought along some Jewish Christian brothers with him, and, and that's important to, to remember as we look at this. Verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So this is another important detail. So you have this group of Jews coming, and then you have this group of Gentiles, and the two of these groups are coming together. Now, verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met them met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. So you can see here, Cornelius is, is confused. Um, he needs salvation, he, and he thinks salvation is in Peter, but Peter's about to straighten him out that salvation is only from Jesus. So now in verse 27. And as he talked to him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me 
that I should not call any person common or unclean. So you see, Peter, he's getting the point now. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you have sent for me? So you have this group of Jews who traveled with Peter to the house of this Gentile named Cornelius in Caesarea. And when they entered the house, there's this group of Gentiles with, there with Cornelius. And Peter acknowledges the elephant in the room. That we're not supposed to be together. But God is doing a work. And then he asked Cornelius, why have you sent for me? And notice Cornelius', Cornelius response in verse 30. He said, four, do, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is awesome. God had Peter and Cornelius right where he wanted them. He had compelled Cornelius to hear, and he had compelled Peter to come and tell. So God chose Cornelius, he prepared Peter, he orchestrated the encounter, and then notice that he has Peter preach his gospel, and that's number four, uh, point number four in this chapter. This sermon, this, this sermon is awesome. The first part of Acts is, is full of great sermons, and a lot of them were delivered by Peter. We studied one two weeks ago, and this is another great one. I have the outline for his sermon here in your notes. It has three parts. Notice that there's an introduction, there's a main theme, and then there's an invitation. So the point that he's going to make in his introduction is that salvation is available to all peoples. Salvation is available to all peoples. Look at verse 34. Well, I set the stage for you. You have this house full of Jews and Gentiles. And notice the first thing that Peter says. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Now just think about this for a minute. Peter was Jewish, and he had been taught his whole life that God had a special love for Israel, that God loved them more than any other nation, and that he didn't care that much for Gentiles. That's what he'd been taught. That's how he'd been brought up. However, now, because of this vision that God had sent Peter, and due to the fact that he'd orchestrated this whole meeting with Cornelius and these Gentiles and Peter and the Jews, Peter's perspective was beginning to change. He was beginning to see that God is no respecter of persons. He did not favor one group over another. God was breaking down these barriers and these prejudices that were in Peter's life. He was destroying those prejudices that had been instilled in him that he'd been taught early in his life. And that work that God had been doing in Peter's life led him to make this great statement in verse 34, that God shows no partiality. Now this is not a new word or a revelation 
new revelation given by God. He, he clearly says this in the Old Testament. Remember that while the Jews are God's chosen people to bring the Messiah into the world, God clearly states that the Jews are meant to be a chosen channel, a channel to which his blessings would flow out to the rest of the nations. That's God's plan from the very beginning, was to use these Jews to show the world. Peter's finally getting, finally getting the idea. Look at verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter says clearly, salvation is available to all, to everyone, anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what you've done. Salvation is available to all men. This is a great introduction. And I imagine Peter's words really grabbed their attention because I, I'm sure these Gentiles had heard the same thing about the, God's chosen people and the Jews and, and the Gentiles were on the, on the outside. And so I'm sure that when they heard this, these Gentiles were excited after doing that, after giving this great word of introduction, Peter moves on to the main point of the sermon. After stressing that salvation is available to all, he makes the next point that salvation is in Christ. Look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. What's he saying here? He's making the point, like we said earlier, that the Jewish people are meant to be the channel through which God's blessing would flow to the nations. He sent his, his message first to Israel, and he sent his son to them. But the reason he sent that message, the reason he sent his son to them, was so that they would bring the good news of peace to other nations. Notice he says, Lord of all. He's basically saying, while all men are conceived in sin and are enemies of God, all men can have peace. Have peace with God through Jesus Christ because he is Lord of all. There's no other way to have peace with God. Only through Jesus because he is Lord of all. Peter is telling his Gentile audience here that Jesus is the only hope for salvation. He alone is Lord. He is Lord of all. In verse 37, verses 37 through 43, Peter then explains how Christ accomplished salvation, how he made it available to everyone. And notice that he appeals to Cornelius and the other Gentiles by something, some things that they already know. As we said earlier, Cornelius was a God-fearer, but he was not yet a Christ follower. He was following these old Jewish beliefs and practices, and while he knew about Jesus and his work and his person on, on the earth, he did not know about what it took to be made right with God, to be at peace with him. He had to know and place his faith and trust in one person, and that's the work and person of Jesus Christ alone. Peter says in verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Peter appeals to things that they already knew. 
nice short summary of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, like he does with the sermon in, at Pentecost. And he starts with the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry when he was baptized by John the Baptist. This, this encounter with John the Baptist is very important because we see here with this encounter the end of the time of the prophets and the beginning of the time of the Messiah. And Peter tells us that, that God the Father anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, isn't that interesting? While Jesus is truly God, he's also truly man. As in a man, and as a man, he relied on the Holy Spirit for the strength and power that he needed to do his ministry. And Peter says that while Jesus is on the earth doing his earthly ministry, he went about doing what? Doing good, which makes sense. Uh, it makes sense that he would do good, right? He says that he went around healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And as we're told in 1 John 3, he did that by healing those, healing those who were oppressed by the devil, both physically and spiritually. Peter says here, this is not something we just heard about. Peter says, we were there. We were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses to the person and work, to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter says, we were witnesses of these things. We not only saw him heal the sick and raise the dead, but we saw Jesus hanging on a tree and die and saw him alive three days later. And after that, we hung out with him and ate with him and drank with him. He says, God chose us to be witnesses to these things so that we could report to you and to others about Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all. In him is salvation and peace with God, and that's only available in him. So Peter's introduction in his sermon, he affirms that salvation has been available, made available to all peoples, and the major point of his sermon is that this salvation has been made available to all, and it's only available through Christ. And last, he moves to his invitation, which is the key piece. This is salvation is by faith. Salvation is by faith. Look at verse 42. And he, that's Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the appointed one by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So there will be a final judgment. And those who are not right with God will be condemned by Christ because he's gonna be the judge of all who have died and all who are alive when he returns. Yet while he is coming as judge, he's available now as savior. And while he one day will condemn the guilty, right now he's the only hope. He's the only rescue for sinners. 
Peter says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Sin has always been our biggest problem in life. It's the source of all our sorrow, and that's why many will be condemned. But Peter here says to Cornelius and these other Gentiles, and to us, his greater Gentile audience, that in Christ there is forgiveness of sin and restoration of relationship with God. He says to this God-fearing Gentile, all the prophets you hear quoted in the synagogues day after day, they bear witness to this. They bear witness to the fact that only in Jesus is forgiveness and salvation. Believing that it is Jesus who paid the price by dying on the cross. Believing that it is Jesus who forgives and nothing else putting your faith and trust alone in what Jesus has done and who he is. And this is, a, this is an awesome sermon. He doesn't even get finished <laughs> before great things happen and these Gentiles believe. Which brings us to our final point. We talked about that God chose Cornelius and prepared Peter and orchestrated this whole encounter and about how Peter preached God's gospel and notice here the final point. Cornelius and the Gentiles are restored to God through Christ. Look at verse 44, 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So while Peter was still preaching, they believed, and the Spirit of God fell on them, and they were saved right then and right there. And the Jews that came with Peter were amazed because these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit just the same way as the Jews received the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and the same way that the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. In his perfect plan, God has Peter and the Jews witness what happened so that they could go and tell the church in Jerusalem, which they do. And they say, you never believe this. The Samaritans and the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit just like we did. See, God allows for all three of these groups to have a similar experience so that they can see that each group has the Spirit of God and so that no group would view themselves as being any better than the others. God's breaking down the dividing walls between these groups and, and through the person of work of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So look at the end of verse 46. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. So we basically ask his Jewish friends, are you guys as convinced as I am? And they were. These Gentiles were saved. There was no doubt in any of their minds. So Peter commanded his Jewish brothers from Joppa to baptize them. 
So God does this great work. God ordains every bit of it. And like he did in Cornelius, he draws sinners to himself. He works in their hearts and brings them to a place where they can hear and where they can believe. God works in believers, and they're filled by the Spirit of God. They see everyone the way that God sees them. He sees, they, all the believers see and know that they are destined for hell and destruction apart from Christ. They can't help it. Believers can't help it. They have to talk about him. Their conversations just naturally turn that way. It's like water runs downhill. It just, it just comes out. That's receiving power. And Jesus said to the believers, you will, you will. So I want to ask you, who is your Cornelius? Who are you witnessing to? Who are you being called to witness to? Now, there are people around today um, who look different and talk different. They come from different heritages and different belief systems. Um, some people probably rub you the wrong way. People you would just as soon avoid. But Jesus came to die for them. He came to die for them. He gave his life for them. You can never know by looking at the outside of these earthly things what God is doing in their spiritual life and that he's drawing them and, and bringing them to the place where they can hear and respond to him. Jesus said that believers will receive power and that believers will witness. They're compelled like Peter they can't help it. Interaction and conversation just somehow tends to, to just turn to talking about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if there's, if there's anything that in you that resists doing this, that you just can't face it, you just can't bring yourself to it, you, you, you have to work it up and plan and, and push through you just have to gut it out, doing it in your own power. Just doing this so that you can be relieved and just check one more thing off a list. You, you could be just a God-fearer. Won't you believe today? Won't you just lay it down and ask Jesus, change me radically, Lord. Do a work in me. Won't you place your faith in him to do what he says he wants to do in you? Just to believe that Jesus is the one that does it. Or maybe you've been living life on your own and, and this is just not working. Everything you do just seems to turn out wrong and bad. Maybe you're hearing this today and God's drawing you to come to Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Maybe something in you is saying, this is true, this is right. 
That's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. That's not some convincing sermon. It's God calling you to believe. He's calling you to lay it all down and to follow Jesus. To trust in him and all he's done. He has every piece in place. Won't you believe now? This is not about some special prayer. It's it's about surrendering. Surrendering and trusting in Jesus. And it's simple, really. Jesus, I can't do it. I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead. Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life. Fill me up. Make me new. Make me right with God. Give me life now and forever. And if you do this today, will will you let someone know? Will you let us know? We want to help you and we want to come alongside you. We want to equip you for this life, this new life that Christ wants to give you. Won't you do that today? Won't you give your life to him today? Let's pray.